watch the ice melt on the glass While the eloquent young pilgrims pass And leave behind the trail Imploring us all not to fail Of course I was raised to Gather courage from those lofty tales So tried and true Good morning and welcome to episode 631 of Effectively Wild The daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus Presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com I'm Ben Lindbergh of Grantland Joined as always by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus Hello Cough, 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 cough. Yes, now I know it's you. And today is our Cubs team preview podcast. Normally, we would have the BP Annual Essay author on in the first segment, but the author of the Cubs BP Annual Essay is Sahadev Sharma, who is hosting our second segment. He'll be talking to Bruce Miles, the Cubs beat writer for the Daily Herald, because Cubs prospects are such a source of interest, we want to focus on them in this first segment and let Sahadev talk about the big league club in the second segment with Bruce. And we are kind of in a quandary because we had Sahadev on last summer to talk about the Cubs. We had a podcast about four months or so ago to talk about Cubs prospects. Cubs prospects haven't done a whole lot since then, but we're going to talk about Cubs prospects today with a new prospect writer or new to this podcast, Chris Crawford, who is the new senior prospect writer for Baseball Prospectus, formerly of ESPN Insider. Hey, Chris. Hey, how's it going, guys? All right. So we have to figure out something new to say about Cubs prospects, although Sahadev assures me that Cubs fans don't tire of talking about (laughs) Cubs prospects. So we could literally just replay the episode we did several months ago, and people would probably listen to it, but we'll try not to do that. So you are a, a new-to-this-podcast prospect writer with new prospect opinions. Do you have any any hot takes about the Cubs system? Do you, do you disagree that this is a good system? Anything juicy you can give us? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is, yeah. That's fine. Didn't, yeah. Expect, didn't expect anything different. This all seems right, to be a universal opinion. Okay, but so, all right. So this is a universal opinion. So if I can hijack this. Sure. For a minute, I want to go down this list and I want you to tell me how each of these guys can fail. Because <laughs> obviously, uh, as a group, they should do very well. But I was thinking about asking you to compare this to the 2011 Royals top 11, and I might still. Uh, okay. But, you know, there's the notable thing, one of the notable things about that Royal system is that while it produced a World Series team, much of the value came from guys who were ranked uh, 20th like Sal Perez, or 30th, like Greg Holland, and not guys who ranked first, like Moustakas, or second, like John Lamb, or fifth, like Mike Montgomery, or sixth, like Chris Dwyer, and so on and so forth. So let's pretend uh, this is a 10th percentile season for the Chicago Cubs, and that, in fact, this perfectly crafted plan uh, gets to where it is supposed to uh, shoot skyward, uh, and instead it just sort of topples over. I want you to tell me uh, what are the uh, paths to disaster for, let's say, Russell, Bryant, Solaire, and all the others. All of them. All of them. 50. I want you to give me all 50 perspectives. <laughs> no, just start with those three, and then we'll, sure. we'll go from there. Well, starting with Russell, um, that's probably the hardest one to project a failure for, to be completely honest, because 
so many of the tools are above average or plus that he's probably he's kind of like the better version of Francisco Lindor in that it's really hard for me to project failure for him. Not that every prospect can fail, but if he's if he's going to fail, it would probably be because he can't stay at shortstop, but because his hands are so good and he's got such a high baseball acumen, it's really tough for me to say that he won't. But that would be kind of it. If he moves to third base or second base, the value obviously drops somewhat precipitously. Uh, Bryant kind of said the same thing. He would have to move off of third base to right field or worse yet, move to first base. And then it would have to be an issue where the contact rate uh, affects him from reaching hitting for high average. I don't think he's going to hit for a huge average anyway at the big league level. You just don't see a lot of guys that big and with that much swing and miss, even though he is pretty short to the ball from the, from his load, that uh, that's still something that uh, could prevent him from being coming one of the two best prospects. Like so many think he is. And then with Solaire, uh, probably looking at something where contact issues or injury type stuff. Cause he has had some nagging stuff over his uh, professional time and, uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, there's, there's, like I said, there's all, prospects fail all the time, but that's, uh, those three are t- three of the top ten or fifteen prospects in baseball, and it's, it's pretty difficult to see them all failing. What's the difference between Chris Bryant's contact problems in the minors and Brandon Woods' contact problems in the minors? Well, I think the big difference is kind of, boy, that's 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 an interesting comparison. Bryant's skill set is a lot better than Brandon Woods is. Um, and Bryant does a better job of recognizing pitches, and he's like I said, he's shorter. Other than some stuff that when he tries to really extend and go low and outside, the swing is usually pretty short. And he he recognizes pitches well, and he has, he's got a high baseball acumen, kind of like Russell. Nothing like Russell. Russell and Lindor's baseball skill, just their their acumen for the game is just ridiculous. But uh, it's it's just it's it's different. <laughs> I know that sounds. Uh, like a uh, like almost like a cop out answer, but but Bryant just has a lot better feel for hitting than Brandon whatever did. I don't know where you stand on the sort of ceiling to safety spectrum when it comes mm. to prospects, but does the difficulty of envisioning a a pathway to failure for Russell make him a better prospect than Bryant for you, or, or how do you weigh those two? That's a great question. In my personal opinion, no, it does not. Because you look at ceiling and floor, and while I will undoubtedly uh, tell you, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, Russell has the higher floor. Bryant's floor is not exactly Bryant's floor is not him ending up being a uh, right-handed version of Russell Brannion. That, that I just I don't see that happening. The, if if the if if the ceiling and floor were widely fluctuated, and especially I get why. Some people have Russell over Bryant because of the positional value. But when you're talking about a guy who has a 50 to 60 hit tool and 70 to 80 power and he's advanced and he's done it at the high AAA level, it's really tough for me to put anybody above Bryant in the system. I wrote something, Grant, one last week comparing preseason projections from 2014 to the projections from 2015 for a, a couple different projection systems, just seeing which guys had had improved or declined the most in the projection system's eyes in that time. And 
Bryant wasn't actually eligible for this because he didn't have a, a 2014 projection in, in one of mm. the systems I was comparing. Maybe he would have shown up at the top of the list if not. But the guy who did show up at the top of the list of people who improved their projections the most over that year was Solaire. So I'm curious whether that matches scouting opinions and whether there was a similar shift in in expectations for him over that time or whether the expectations were the same, but he actually put the stats up, which convinced the the projection systems that he was for real. That's that's an interesting question. Um, so Lair's interesting because coming into last year, and my memory is not perfect, but I do remember that there was some volatility with where he was being ranked. I do know that there were some people when he first signed and stuff that actually liked Solaire quite a bit more than Puig, um, and he's done okay. Uh, but it's interesting to see the big thing for him was his feel for hitting improved so much once he got into that, uh, to the double a rank. And then when he went up and worked with, uh, Manny Ramirez, uh, Manny Ramirez might be, uh, if you were breaking Cubs prospects, you might have to rank Manny Ramirez high up there because he's clearly doing some wonderful things like the approach, even for Baez, even though it, didn't really show up at the big league level as much, but that sample size is so small. He, they're clearly getting something where <laughs> they're, these kids are doing such a, such a good job of uh, going with the pitch and realizing that they're so strong and able to hit the ball with authority the opposite way. So um, with Soler, they're, they're, Soler made a massive improvement, I think, in uh, – 2014. I wasn't surprised. I, I, I've always liked Soler. I've always liked Soler more than Almora. And I like uh, liked him uh, more than guys like Vogelbach and stuff like that. So uh, it wasn't a surprise to me. But uh, it is interesting to hear that the projection system said that about him. I wrote that exact article a month ago, Ben. You <laughs> <laughs> well, did it with Pakoda. I did it with different things. Huh. We have like the same names. It's like the same... <laughs> It's the same article Aww. about the same people. I, I write that article every year. Gotta write that article. <laughs> you do not. I write it every year. I don't. I've written that article. I wrote it last year. You edited it. Hmm. <laughs> Any Cubs questions? <laughs> Again. By the way, Bryant. You're right, Bryant. Um, I had to kind of like filter out Bryant because he didn't have a projection last year by Pakota either. Yeah. But he projects to to be. I don't I don't have the exact answer off the top of my head, but he projects to like this like ridiculous season, like like a super ridiculous season by Pakoda's reckoning. He projects to be a four win player in less wow. than four hundred plate appearances. In less than four hundred plate appearances. So over the course of a full season, Pakoda is essentially calling him uh an MVP co front runner. This is wow. This is bananas. This is Matt Weeder's redux or something, right? Uh, that's probably I shouldn't probably have said that because I think that's still a touchy subject around BP. <laughs> but this is uh, so this is just we don't have enough information, and uh, Pakoda can't help uh, doing what it does. But we're smart enough to know, right? Yeah, I mean, it's I, I really like Chris Bryant. I think to me, uh, he's the best prospect in baseball by a not not um substantial margin i think it's him and then you can't see my hand but it's lowering right now and then it's byron buxton and then it's the rest of the guys uh i i i think he's going to come up and i think he's going to be a really good player 
four wins in less than 400 plate appearances seems like a bit much. Um, I actually think he'll get more plate appearances than that. I bet you he's up somewhere around, uh, well, maybe not. But anyway, I, I think that's that's asking an awful lot, especially for a guy. He is He's always going to strike out a lot. Part of it because he's a patient hitter at the plate, and patient hitters, one of the things that you uh, – kind of deal with is that uh, guys who see a lot of pitches are going to strike out more because they see a lot of two, one, two, two, one, two count type of things. So, so that's just going to happen. Um, so, uh, and he's not exactly fleet of foot. So I don't think he's going to have a, a huge batting average balls in play average like he has had it Iowa and at uh, the double a level. So I really think he's going to have a nice year. He'd be my easy favorite for, rookie of the year for the national league but that's uh I'd, I'd lower my expectations just a little bit below that what were your expectations for Baez heading into last year and did he exceed them or or fail to meet them that that's interesting because i was actually lower on Baez than a lot of the industry um just because there was so much uh there, the talent's unquestioned i mean the the hit tool could be his bat speed gives him a hit tool that's plus his power is obvious um, but I had real questions about whether he could stay in the middle infield and I had real questions whether he was ever going to see enough pitches to uh, live up to that hype and because we talk about raw and in-game power I mean there's tons of power there but if you're swinging at 01 pitches or 00 pitches constantly that power number does it's just natural that that's going to drop down um, I think he made great adjustments when he uh, went up to Triple uh, A and worked with uh, Ramirez and those guys. So uh, I now think he's going to be a very solid uh, middle infielder, probably second base uh, for the next few years. But I've never quite seen the, uh, the, the MVP type player that some people saw. And I think that was a little bit of stat scouting, um, which happens. And uh, I think more realistically, he's more of a get on base 310, 320 percent of the time and gives you 20, 25 home runs. A very nice player, but uh, MVP candidate he is not. Billy McKinney, when the trade was made, yes. um, the Addison Russell trade was made, uh, he was like kind of a, a name that maybe I sort of knew, but I thought of him as the, you know, not, the, not quite the throwing, but I wasn't that worried about. Mm. I, I wouldn't have been worried anyway. Why would I have been worried? But had, had I been the type to worry about the A's giving up prospects, I wasn't that worried about him at the time. And um, uh, now he's, you know, he's a real prospect. And that's partly because I tend to only know what guys were ranked preseason. And McKinney wasn't a prospect yet preseason. He was young and all that. Um, sure. And now he is a prospect. Now he's a top 100 prospect. And uh, this is um, not, it doesn't seem irrelevant to what happened after the trade. He went from the California League. To a, a tougher league for hitters, and he hit 301, 390, 432, which is a, a big step up from where he was. For Stockton, has he changed as a prospect? Did, did the Cubs end up getting a better prospect than they thought they were getting at the time? Did the A's give up a better prospect than they thought at the time? Or was I the only one who was uh, lagging behind on that? Um, yes. No, <laughs> that's just a yes to all three of those things. Um, McKinney's interesting. I, I think people forget that this was a first-round pick. You know, this was a guy that the A's really liked, and a lot of teams really liked. That uh, it would have been a real surprise if the A's wouldn't have taken him, if a couple teams that were picking behind him wouldn't have, uh, just because a lot of people thought he had the most advanced hit tool of any high school player. Uh, kind of reminded some people of uh, Jesse Winker, uh, 
Cincinnati prospect who I'm sure most of your uh, listeners are familiar with. Um, he, the thing with McKinney is when he came up, it looked like he was a, a one tool guy, like a guy who was going to hit for high average, but wasn't a very good defender, has a atrocious throwing arm and uh, doesn't have exactly blazing speed. He's improved in pretty much every asset of the game and has also increased the power tool. They've uh, got him using his lower half more, which is huge for uh, a guy like that. So uh, I don't know if uh, the A's knew or were (laughs) – I think the A's knew what they were giving up, that they were giving up a very good prospect. McKinney might be, if he was still there, their best prospect right now. Um, So – I don't know if uh, I don't know if it was something like that. I think the Cubs knew though that this was a guy who has a very good chance of being a competent, if not all-star, corner outfielder if everything worked out. I actually have McKinney as my fifth best Chicago Cubs prospect, and if you wanted to argue fourth, I wouldn't call you crazy. And how did Albert Almora change your opinion of him last season? Boy, that, that guy was uh, that was that was a bit of a. I was lower on Almora than the industry as well. Um, that was a guy that uh, actually the very first time I heard of Albert Almora was a, a conversation with Kylie McDaniel who raved about him. And that guy obviously knows what he's talking about a little bit. But um, he uh, he really just couldn't make adjustments at all last year. And there's he was always a guy that was high floor, medium high ceiling. But last year I didn't see anything that suggested medium high ceiling. I think – I think Almora is more like a really nice to have fourth outfielder right now. Um, but expecting him to be a starter, especially with the guys that they have now in the system, uh, if if I was going to suggest that uh, one of those guys was going to be traded, I think Almora would be the first name that I'd bring up anyway. More of a general question. Do you find that teams that excel at amateur scouting also excel at pro scouting is there is there a correlation between skill at one or the other because you can point to all the excellent prospects that the cubs have drafted or Mm -hmm. signed as young international players and you can also look at some guys that they seem to have identified as maybe undervalued assets at the major league level it's hard to say whether that's as a result of scouting or stats or what but guys like garietta and Maybe Pedro Strope or, well, they seem to have raided the, the Orioles for a bunch of people. Siyoshi Wada is another one they, they got after the Orioles got rid of him, and he's been pretty good for them. So do you find that there is a correlation there? Do you think that if, if a team is good at amateur scouting, that it also tends to be good at pro scouting? Well, I think the big thing they do is they eschew sabermetrics. Um, I'm not sure if you guys saw that article or not, but uh, oh my gosh, my head hurts. Um, I think I think usually there is a fairly good correlation between the two. Now, that's not always true. Um, there are certainly organizations that have better scouting staffs than others from the international or from the uh, amateur side than the pro side. But um, I think you're seeing more and more. Uh, teams kind of uh like there's obviously going to be area scouts that are mostly for the amateur side and there's going to be pro scouts for that stuff but i think you're seeing more and more that uh they're kind of starting to bleed together a little bit um, because farm systems i think are more important than they've ever been right now just because of 
I mean, you see teams like the Yankees building, <laughs> refusing to give up prospects and trades. If you would have told me as a 15-year-old that the Yankees would be refusing to give up any prospect in any trade, I would have never believed you. Um, so I think that you're seeing more uh, bleeding in – you're seeing more guys who aren't strictly amateur and you're seeing more directors of pro scouting doing both and making trips to see all sorts of uh, – amateur players as well. I think that's kind of why you're seeing the Cubs improve so much. Like they got guys like Jake Arrieta, who uh, was basically done. It was, it was a complete reclamation project. And now he's uh, probably one of the better number three starters in baseball or number two, whatever the heck he's going to be. So uh, I think it's, there's usually a correlation. It's, it's not always true. Um, Like the angels for one, used to have one of the better amateur scouting systems and maybe not the best pro side. And now it may be vice versa a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, there's usually a, uh, usually a correlation. All right. So let's go four years in the future. The Cubs are in the world series and we look at the, we look back at this prospect class and we're surprised at some players who flopped and some players have been good. And then there's this one guy who's like an all-star now who was, uh, you know, not even a top 25 guy in this system right now. Who's your, who do you, who do you put your money on to be that guy? Oh boy, that's tough. Not even top 25 in the system. Uh, I mean, you know, I'm trying to make it hard, but you could say, <laughs> let's say, tw- you know, like Southbred was 20 and Holland was 30. I mean, I want to make it difficult. <laughs> Plus, not, when, when we had Nick and Chris on, I think they said, what, that the, the Cubs 11 through 20 was better than most teams' top 10 or something. Yeah, so, not most like, teams. I think or a lot of teams. So, so yeah, if you, if, you go, if you go, if the Cubs go deeper than, than anyone else, I guess, so. Is this your way of saying you want me to do a top 30 for the Cubs in the offseason? Because this is not the... We, you know, no. we talked about a Yankees top 100 earlier in this uh, <laughs> in this offseason. That was uh, an enjoyable episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if he ranks top 30 or 20 or whatnot. I'd go with uh, Carson Sands, a uh, guy that they drafted in the fourth round this year, who I personally thought should have been a first or second round pick. Uh 60 fastball, borderline 60 slider, uh, commands everything well. I think he's going to be a solid mid-rotation starter and with a chance to jump to a number two. Uh, and he's one of those rare guys who uh, can throw strikes and also has projection left, um, which you don't see a whole heck of a lot of. Um, so I'll go with Carson Sands as, as the sleeper in the system. You can't have Carson Sands because Carson Sands uh, ranked – where did he rank? Tenth. Tenth. Carson Sands ranked okay. 10th. We're on okay. Carson Sands. You, okay. you, How get, about... you get no credit for Carson Sands. <laughs> How about Bajan Rademacher? Ooh, that's an exotic name. How yes. do I spell this? Uh, R-A-D-E-M-A-C-H-E-R. Wait, what? Is that spelled again? Rademacher? Rademacher or Mocker? I think he cuts. He's not in the top 10, and he doesn't show up on the... On the factors on the farm or, or on the rise sections Perfect. either. This has taken me. This has taken me to the Rademacher distribution, which, <laughs> okay. in probability theory and statistics, is a discrete probability distribution where a random variate x has a fifty percent chance of being either plus one or minus one, which is like probably a metaphor for this, right? It will he be has, at some point. Yeah, he has a fit. Yeah, exactly. So there we. <laughs> That's way too much math for 929 at night. Uh, Fajan Rademacher is a guy who might have a plus hit tool, 
has one of the stronger throwing arms uh, in the system, uh, was like a 13th or 15th round pick in 2012, uh, performed really well in uh, the Florida State League. Uh, he's a guy that I could see becoming a, a quality starter or maybe even an all-star if everything goes right, but you made me pick someone outside the top 10 and making me pick that was hard. That was hard. So I'm, I'm glad you named yeah. a, a hitter because my last question is is hitter related, and oh. you almost spoiled my segue with your Carson Sands pick. But I'm wondering if the if the Cubs whole rebuild pays off and mm-hmm. they they win a World Series or they come close and and it vindicates the way that they've gone about this. Will there be copycat clubs that go with a similarly position player centric? approach to prospects because historically it seems like if if there are two critiques that i hear most often of internet prospect lists it's that they put ceiling they put too high a a priority on ceiling as opposed to probability Mm -hmm. and they maybe put pitchers too high which is kind of related because if you're if you're ranking by ceiling then you would want pitchers to be on more or less the same level as the the position player prospects but if you're ranking by probability and safety you would want to factor that in and the fact that pitchers get hurt a lot more and don't pan out as often maybe you would have fewer pitchers in your top 100 or or whatever number you rank (laughs) i'm curious whether if what the cubs are doing is sort of prioritizing position players among their prospects if this works out will we suddenly see a run on position players will where every team be coveting position player prospects and pitchers will be the the forgotten men? You know, that's a good question. I would say no. I think with the Cubs, what you really saw was not so much a, especially in the draft, um, it wasn't so much like a disdain for college pitching or anything like that. It's just so happened that they've gone BP, best player available as much as any team other than maybe the Nationals. Uh, early in the draft and the best player available on their boards have been position player type guys. I think if Carlos Rodon or Tyler Kolick would have fallen to them with the fourth pick last year, uh, as good as Kyle Schwarber looked, they would have taken Rodon or uh, Rodon or Kolick in a heartbeat. And uh, the year before, I think if Mark Appel would have fallen to them with the uh, second pick, <laughs> fortunately for them, he didn't. <laughs> but uh I think you would have seen Appel in a Chicago Cub uniform. I think really what they're about is going best player available and position stuff is secondary. I do have that's that's my one concern with the system though is that all of their impact arms are guys that really it's difficult for me to project that this guy's going to be a starter. Uh, C.J. Edwards just because of that frame and he's already had the injury stuff. Pierce Johnson's arm action hurts me to watch, and that's never a good thing for a uh, starting pitcher prospect. So, so that's my that's my one concern with the system is that I don't see any frontline starters coming. But as you've seen, they've been they've done a pretty good job of acquiring uh, starting pitching uh, at the major league level, and I'm sure uh, these get that some guys like Sands and uh, Jen Hosang are going to. Uh, develop into nice mid-rotation starters that they can fill in at some point. But I don't think that it's a case of them uh, prioritizing position players over hitting. I just think that's the way the cards have fallen. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, if you can, if you could save money by developing a bunch of productive position players, then you can always go sign John Lester or or one of the many free agent starters who will be available next off season. 
Okay, yeah. so so normally we end the segment by asking our guests to predict how many the team will win in the upcoming season. You're welcome to tell us if you if you want how many games you think the Cubs will win, but we won't insist on it. But I will ask you to predict a couple other things. First, okay. first thing to predict: when will we see Bryant? Uh, I think you will see Chris Bryant May 10th. I'll go May 10th. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I feel like Cubs fans would probably be pretty happy with that if he's not a, a June service time guy. I think that I think he'll be May 10th, something, something around that. Right when uh, isn't that right around where Springer got called up last year? Maybe maybe it's a little earlier than that. But that's 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 my guess for Chris Bryant is right I'm, around mid May. I'm just gonna note that Mike Trout was I think April 29th, and the Angels lost that division by roughly three weeks of Mike Trout. So. <laughs> Right. Just noting. Right. And I'll go with the Cubs 84 and 78, by the way. I think uh, okay. I think that's why you guys are tuning in to listen to me. So I'll give you 84 and 78. <laughs> and also tell us where you think the Cubs system will rank next spring when people are ranking systems. Because oh. it's been, you know, one or two for a couple consecutive years, which is tough to do, especially sure. as you're graduating guys and sure. more guys will be graduated but it's also a very deep system. So where will it be a year from now? I think it'll be number two, and I will go with uh, Minnesota as number one. For the third straight think, year, potentially. Yes, I think uh, I think Minnesota just because, uh, man, or Houston maybe too, just because they're going to have a chance to add two top five talents because, uh, well, I'm not going to get into that. Um, the uh, But I, I'll go with number two. I think even, even if they graduate uh, – Bryant and uh, Soleil. Uh, I don't think Russell graduates as a prospect and uh, Schwarber Torres. I wish we could have talked a little bit about Torres. I think that kid is got star potential as much as any prospect in the system stands. The big three that we talked about. I still think that it's one. You can talk about it. Go ahead. Tell us why. He's he's really good. Uh, uh, I personally uh, don't understand why he hasn't gotten as much hype as he as some of the other guys, um, what he's done as a 18 year old, uh, at the professional level. I mean, it's, it's a little bit stat scouting, but his approach is excellent and he has above average to plus tools pretty much everywhere, but, uh, power and that might come too. So, uh, and he's, he's going to play shortstop. So <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do with all of these guys. Uh, that could be him and Aloy Jimenez could be, top five prospects in most any other system, but are like 12 and 13 on some. So, uh, so yeah, the, the, I think this is still one of the uh, two or three best uh, farm systems in baseball. All right. Well, there is a rich tradition of prospect writers coming on Effectively Wild to talk about Cubs prospects. So you have now joined a lineage of Jason Parks and Nick Valeris and Chris Mellon and Sahadev and others. So welcome to the Cubs prospect club. Happy to be here. And welcome to Baseball Prospectus. And people can read Chris very often at Baseball Prospectus this season. You can find him on Twitter at Crawford Chris V. He will answer your prospect questions. Thank you for joining us, Chris. Thanks very much for having me. All right. So that concludes the prospect-centric portion of this Cubs preview podcast. After the musical break, Sahadev will speak more about the Major League Club with Bruce Miles of the Daily Herald. This rather simple epitaph can save your hide, your fallen mind. Fate is 
isn't what we're up against There's no design of philosophizing There's no design of philosophizing Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, associate editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is my friend Bruce Miles, Cubs beat writer for the Daily Herald. The Daily Herald is the paper that I grew up with, so I had to I had to call Bruce in to to talk Cubs with me. Uh, uh, Bruce and I both uh, uh, frequent Cubs games. Obviously, I'm, I, I cover the Cubs a lot as well, so uh, I've sat next to Bruce many a times in the press box and and. Uh, uh, discussed the future of the Cubs, and uh, it's it's my pleasure to have him on here so you can listen to our conversation about uh, finally, hopefully, uh, a winning Cubs team. Bruce, is it, do we have it? Do you think? Do you think we that at least the, at least we can go into the season uh, with with positive feelings, right? Oh, Sahadev, I definitely think so. You know, uh, uh, all of the moves that the Europe's team or <laughs> the Europe's team and Jed Hoyer have made over the last couple of years have kind of built to this point where I, I think that if the Cubs can get to 82, 83 wins in 2015, we'll be talking about a pretty successful year and people will have forgotten all of the pain and all of the, just the, 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 the downcast nature of this team for the last three years. And I really think the turning point, and, you know, I asked Theo at the time, I thought the turning point was the Samarja trade. Uh, the 4th of July, the next day they had a, a phone conference with all of us, and I said, Theo, is this the last time you have to do this? And he said, I think so. So, yeah, you're definitely onto something there. I think that if it's not a winning season or if it's not a contending season, if they're not in the playoffs, they're going to make a push for it. But I, I do think the worst is over, and there's light at the end of the tunnel, and it's not an oncoming train. You know how how big was this offseason? We we saw the Mad Lester Madden. Those were the two big names, obviously, and you know uh, other moves that that show that 2015 is obviously important with Montero and Fowler, little things like that. And and you know if if this offseason had been another quiet one, I, I mean. Yeah. I think a lot of people would have turned, even people like you and I who have who have been patient and supported this and said, yeah, they're going about this the right way. But I think that this really had to be done this offseason. We needed to see some legitimate movement at the big league level, right? Well, I think so because people's patience wears thin. And I think Cubs fans were remarkably understanding of what they were trying to accomplish here. Uh, you, you, you saw the last couple of years under the previous regime. They came close in 2008 but just kind of drifted off into this inertia, you know, 2010, 2011. I, I think Cubs fans were remarkably patient the first three years of the Epstein regime, but yeah, at some point they've got to see something. You've got to give us something. You've got to give us some hope. You mentioned some of the offseason acquisitions with, with Fowler. I think very important to get some on base at the top of that lineup. With David Ross, another one, a backup catcher who can catch John Lester and bring a stability behind the plate there. So there were a lot of things at the big league level that this past year were done so that people are not just talking, you know, about hope for the future and Chris Bryant and Javier Baez and Jorge Soler and Kyle Schwarber at all. And, you know, we, we talk about these prospects with, uh, you know, you and I have heard it for a while, 
but there's a, there's a, a potential log jam. And, and we always say, you know, let's just see how these things will tend to work themselves out. But we're getting closer and closer to where that log jam is a reality. And it just, you know, it just kind of won't really work itself out. How do you see things unfolding in the infield, uh, shortstop, second base, and even third base where, you know, we, we assume Bryant is, is the future there, but maybe that that doesn't turn out to be the case. Well, it's a nice problem to have if you're the Cubs. And, I, and it's still early in spring training, very early in the Cactus League season, where I don't think people ought to either be jumping to conclusions or playing roster games just yet because so many things happen. So many variables are part of the equation that things could change tomorrow with an injury, with poor performance, uh, you know, with, with somebody getting sick even. Or, or if a trade is made, if, say, they trade a Wellington Castillo or if somebody comes at them with an offer for a, a Castro or a Baez. So I, I think right now the Cubs are in a very, very nice position of letting the, the, the Cactus League season play itself out and sitting back and saying, we've got this depth, we've got some options here. If Mike Olt has a nice spring at their base, will that give us some time to buy with Bryant? And if so, can we start Bryant in the left field in Iowa? But I think right now the Cubs are in a very nice position, and they're just going to let things play out in the next five or six weeks here. You know, there there were two arms in the in the rotation. Obviously, they've added Lester, and and I think we we, we feel comfortable uh, what what we're going to get from him. We, we're confident that we know what we're getting from him. But with Hendricks and Arietta, two guys, uh, Hendricks in in a much more limited time frame, but both of them were very impressive last year. Arietta, you know, five months of of near ace level pitching. Is there one in particular that you've really bought into? Or are you still shaky on both of them? What what are your what do you foresee for 2015 and maybe even beyond for the two of them? Well, that, that's a very good point. But what I think the lesser signing did was it pushed guys down in the rotation to roles where they could be more comfortable, where they could be, settle in and, and be effective. Arietta, I think the only question with him is, can he pitch a full season and go 200-plus innings? He did not do that last year. He came into camp with a, a shoulder ailment that cost him the first month of the regular season. But as we both saw, he took no-hit stuff in the games many, many times during 2014. With Hendricks, I, I, I don't think that there's really any question as to this kid's intellect or pitching acumen. It's going to be a, a case with him. Can he adjust to the hitters? Can he continue learning and building upon building upon what he learned the last couple of years, both in the minor leagues and at the big league level? But, I, but what I do think the biggest thing was the Leicester signing gave the rotation some depth. And any time you can have Travis Wood as your number five starter, whereas he was your ace a couple of years ago, you know, you got some pretty good things going there. Yeah, and I agree on Arietta. If if he's healthy, if he can pitch a full season. I think we, we could see six months of what he did last year. I know a lot of people are saying, well, that's, you know, that was above his head and things like that. I, I, you and I both talked to this guy. This is a very confident guy. He's mentally in the right place. And, and from what I hear, that, that hasn't always been the case. He, his head seems screwed on right, and he just seems like he knows his body. He, the mechanical issues are a thing of the past. He's really – something has clicked. Something's, something is right there. And as long as that shoulder and that elbow are fine, I'm, I feel very confident that they have a pair of aces at the top. 
Well, the, the other thing was Sahadat. I had a chance to talk with him early on in spring training here, and he kept to a very serious off-season routine, but it wasn't maybe a stereotypical one. He talked very openly about doing things like Pilates in the off-season to work different areas of his body to keep it fresh. He looked to be in terrific physical shape, uh, all the confidence in the world. And, and maybe something last year clicked where he said, I had success, I want to build on it. And, and he, to me, I've interviewed him, as you have one-on-one -on -one a number of times, a very thoughtful guy, mm -hmm. a very cerebral guy. And with Lester there to kind of lead the way and to shoulder that kind of a burden, I think Arietta can have one of those even though he emerged last year as an ace, kind of an under-the-radar number two. He could be like Lester's wingman, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun to see this entire rotation develop, I think. One, one guy who... Oh, man, we, we have to watch develop, and I think it's, you know, I don't know if it's key for this season or anything like that, but Javi Baez has had so much hype around him, and, and there's just a lot of swing and miss there. Is this, in your opinion, and who with, with the people you've talked to and within the Cubs, outside of the Cubs, is this a pitch recognition issue? Is this a mechanical issue? Is this something that can be fixed, or is it just, you know, one of those things he just needs to keep seeing pitching, pitching, pitching over and over again, and hopefully it clicks? Yeah, you know what, I think a lot of it is a function of youth. Still a very young man. Uh, I think they did the right thing last year, bringing him up at the end of a season or midway through, a little bit past midway through a season where they weren't going anywhere, to let him sink or swim. He had a lot of failures there. He had a few successes with prodigious home runs. He's an awfully good fielder. Uh, looks good at shortstop and second base. But I think it's just a matter of maturity, of age, in recognizing pitches and, and getting it through that you know you don't have to swing from your heels and wrench your back and even twist your ankle every time you swing the bat. I think a little bit of maturity, a little bit of recognition of what the game is all about will take care of a lot of things. Certainly a, a large, prodigious talent there, and uh, I, I think that they're bringing him along the right way. Yeah, I remember uh, watching batting practice pretty soon after he was called up. Uh, sitting with a couple of scouts, and, and they were commenting on how they don't think they'd ever seen him not swing 100%, no matter what. And, and you know, they, they were, we were all kind of chuckling about it, but there was also that kind of like, I'm not sure if that's a great thing. <laughs> like he's, he, he looks like he's going to hurt himself at times when he does that. So it's, you know, I love, you know, I love the bat speed. You know, we, we know how great he can be, but that that all-out, uh, almost wild swing at times uh, does concern you at times. So hopefully they can they can just tweak some things and, and also, you know, try and hold back that. You don't want to, like, change the aggressiveness, so to say, since that's what potentially could make him great, but you also want to tweak some things and see if that approach and the, that pitch recognition can be can be adjusted in some way. I don't even know. I, I'm sure it's the hardest thing to teach if it's even possible to teach, but uh, you know, there's so much talent there. You just don't want to see it uh, become a, an untapped potential. No. Uh, and, and you know what? They, they've said that there's no jobs guaranteed. So if it turns out that they want him to spend a little bit more time at class to play Iowa this year, it won't be the end of the world because they've left that possibility open. And, and as we just said, still a young man, so I think yeah, I'm confident in, in, in this group's uh, knowledge of the game that they'll bring them along the right way.
Yeah, I agree with that. You have the right people in in place and and the the right development staff, and that's something that may have been an issue, uh, you know, five ten years ago with the Cubs, but I don't think that's the case any longer. The fifth starter, starter spot, it just seems like a logjam. There's, uh, I, I don't even know how you how you fix uh, figure it out because there's guys you that have to be on the forty man roster and uh, don't have options. Uh, that that I think have talent and you don't really want to give away or just release. Uh, how do you think it shakes out? What do you think is the best case scenario here? Well, the, the one thing you want to go into spring with is you don't want to have five starters for five spots. You want to have eight or nine starters for those five spots because invariably somebody comes up sore, somebody has a horrible spring or whatever. I think they'd like very much for Travis Wood to rebound to the all-star form that he flashed in 2013 and, and grab that spot. He was the de facto ace of the staff that year. And as we mentioned a minute ago, you know, he, he fell out of favor and is now the number five guy or is fighting for that. You've got, got guys like Jacob Turner who showed a little bit last year. Felix Dubrant, who came over from Boston and was given a few starts. Siyoshi Wada, uh, the, the pitcher out of Japan, who pitched pretty creditably last year and came up with a little bit of a, uh, a leg, a hamstring injury during the first week of camp this year. And, and, and speaking of depth, they gave a cup of coffee to a, a couple of kids last year, Eric Yokish and Dallas Beeler, who I think will start this year in the AAA Iowa rotation. So, you know, right there, they're, they're, those are seven, eight, nine, ten guys that we've rattled off there for the five spots, and that's what any organization wants. So I think they'd love Travis Wood to grab that spot. But, again, somebody's pitcher in another camp in Florida and Arizona comes up lame or comes up with a bad arm, you've got some trade possibilities there as well. So don't discount any of that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, you know, like you said, I, I think they want Wood to win that spot. But – but what happened? Turner is a guy who I think I believe that they still like what he, what he brings to the table, and there's a lot there. One a former top prospect, and you can't just get rid of a, a talent like that. Just I mean, I guess the Marlins did, but I'm not sure if the Cubs. I think the Cubs preferably would like to figure out a way to to hold on to him. So maybe Wood becomes trade bait or somewhat. If if Turner does turn out to be you know a legitimate uh, fifth starter for this team, but there, there's a lot of interesting scenarios there, and I guess. You didn't mention him, and and I, I and I, <laughs> I'm guessing Cubs, I know what fans, you're gonna say. Yeah. Cubs fans don't want me to mention him, but I'm gonna say say it anyways. Uh, Edwin Jackson, I I don't know what you do there. I I really don't. It's uh, it, it, th- that situation and Wellington Castillo are the two that I, I just don't really see a, a good solution. Don't see how you start. Uh, you, they're on the 25-man uh, roster come opening night. It, it's weird. It's it's almost <laughs> uncomfortable and awkward. <laughs> you know, you were in the middle of your, your talk, and I said to myself, oh, darn it, I forgot to mention Edwin Jackson. And, and, and not totally being flipper because I really do like the guy as a human being. Oh, uh, he could have been a disruptive force in that locker room amid all of the poor performance the past two years, but he was a an outstanding teammate, a mentor of young players. He just didn't pitch well, and they have two years and $26 million left there. I think what they're hoping is that, you know, somebody out there might want a guy to be desperate enough and will gladly eat the money to do it. And you also mentioned Wellington Castillo. This day and age, and I write about it in, in the Daily Herald here from time to time, you just can't have three major league catchers who don't play any 
other position on your roster, especially in the National League, and especially when you're carrying at least 12 pitchers. So, uh, you know, that's, again, maybe another problem that's nice to have because if some other catcher in Florida or Arizona takes a foul tip in the wrong place, and it's out for any length of time, they're on the phone with Theo and Judd saying, hey, what about Wellington Castillo? But right now, it's they're both very, very odd fits on this team. You know, a guy who just doesn't get mentioned and completely gets overlooked, uh, not only by, you know, Cubs fans, but everyone. I mean, people people just assume that last year was it can't be repeated. But you look at Chris Coughlin, what he did his rookie year, he played 128 games, had a 122 OPS plus. Hasn't, hadn't played over 100 games since until last year. 125 games, 121 OPS plus. He hadn't been healthy uh, healthy other than his rookie year and last season when he was healthy he produced is, is this a guy that that you do you have any faith that the last year can be repeated can this be a guy that holds left field until you know if not all season at least until like credibly holds that spot until someone is a, a younger player comes and takes over on one of my days in spring training i was walking through the locker room and i saw chris there and i thought you know what the heck i'm gonna go over and talk with him and we had a very nice chat for five or ten minutes about all of those things and you know he said that listen it's a prospect driven world these days and he's you know closing in at age 30 just would seemingly like he was yesterday the rookie of the year he knows the situation I don't think there's any reason that he cannot you know repeat last year's performance all he has to do is stay healthy which is what he's not been able to do except for last year in his rookie of the year season as you mentioned but he understands that opportunities aren't just given out. He seemed to be very grateful for the chance the Cubs gave him last year. He went to camp as a non-roster guy last year and got called up in May and really ran with the situation. So I think until uh, they decide what they're going to do with Chris Bryant, he's a perfectly viable option in left field. And they also have Chris Denorfia, the right-handed hitting platoon person in that little situation there where the Coghlan bats left-handed, but I, I think he's a perfectly viable guy there, provided he stays healthy. Yeah, I like Coghlan's bat. I mean, I know he has issues uh, defensively. I, I, you know, I, I've watched, uh, I've watched him look kind of rough out there. But it's left field, and we've seen bad defenders. As long as if you can put a put a, a solid, uh, you know game together at the plate i think i think you'll take that especially with this lineup right now it's so young and and just a lot of unproven players but but maybe a guy that i feel very confident with and i believe you do too as far as what he can do at the plate anthony rizzo just broke out last year he had that rough 2013 and maybe you know a lot of the numbers looked fine but the batting the slash line didn't it was bad he just did not he didn't look great. He made a ton of adjustments uh, mechanically, and, and he seemed just to break out, be a borderline MVP candidate last year. Not only do you, do you believe that not only he can be like the anchor in the middle of that lineup, but also uh, maybe that cl- that clubhouse leader, that guy that, you know, this guy was given great makeup grades and just, uh, you know, we don't need that rah-rah guy, so to say, but but that guy that just leads by example and shows everyone this is how you go about your business, this is how you become a, a superstar, this is how you uh, perform when you want to be on a, on a you know, perform and, and uh, prepare when you want to be on a, on a winning team. Yeah, I think you've hit it exactly on the head there, Sahadov. It was interesting because on the last day of last year up in Milwaukee, I asked him what the goal for this team should be in 2015, and he said to contend for the Central Division title, and he kind of doubled down and tripled down on that 
during the Cubs caravan and convention and into the first days of spring training where he said, you know, what do they want me to say that we want to finish in fourth place? So I think that slowly but surely he's taking over that leadership mantle a little bit. And I think it's a great thing. And what I also think was great was that Joe Madden backed him 100% both at the convention and at the opening of spring training where he said, I think it's great that this kid said this. Yes, he had a, a, a complete breakout, a complete bounce back year in 2014, along with the other guy that got mentioned in that equation, Starlin Castro. But I think, yes, Rizzo can be that guy who's your anchor at first base and also your anchor in the clubhouse, even as a young player. But he's a young player who's been given a couple of years of big league experience, and now I think he's ready to run with it. You mentioned Madden there. Uh... You know, I think we were all impressed, but we, we, we know his history. We know what he how, how good he is with the media, how good he is in the clubhouse. So his uh, his opening press conference wasn't a surprise. Uh, the reaction to him at Cubs convention uh, maybe shouldn't have been a surprise, but I was a little taken aback. But by how captivating he was and how quick witted he was, you know, the, he didn't he has his go to sayings, but but he also has some really uh, funny or just impressive off the cuff remarks that. He just knows how to handle everything. You know what? It's great, too, because the early days of spring training, you meet with the manager, and he went on for like 22, 23 minutes. If you look at your recorder and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, well, maybe I can skip over some of this. There was not one second of wasted time during his press conferences. And I'm not going to mention any names because I've covered the Cubs for 18 years as the beat writer, but I've covered managers that after five minutes of listening to him, you were done. With Joe Madden, 22 minutes and there wasn't one wasted second. And he covered everything from bunt defense to infield defense to sports psychology to backup catchers to being real hands-on on the practice field with guys. A very interesting guy, but what, what got me is was, I don't think he misses a thing that goes on on the field, whether during a regular season game, a Cactus League game, or a uh, early morning practice in spring training. The guy sees everything. It's. Uh, I mean, I totally agree with you there, Bruce. It's. I'm. I'm already excited for pre and post game because I know there won't be any wasted time. We're getting good stuff. This is going to be. Uh, uh, my my first year was. I, I want to say, either Ozzy's second to last or last season. Uh, with the White Sox. So I haven't had a guy that really just captivates you and just talks and talks and talks uh, as far as managers go. Uh, you know, nothing against the, the guys that I've covered. They're mostly really good guys and great baseball people. But, you know, being able to just captivate an audience is, uh, takes a special kind of person. But but also being able to handle the Cubs and handle this immense pressure once this team does start winning, which we expect, if not this year, it's, it's going to happen soon as long as, you know, nothing crazy does disastrous happens things are going to go in a in a positive direction dusty baker thought he could handle it lupinella thought he could handle it both after they left admitted it was a lot more than they expected and it kind of you know that they, they didn't know what to do with all of that all the craziness and not from j- just the fans but the media as well it gets wacky uh i think joe madden may be the perfect person built for this team did, did do you see, do you think he knows what, he may not know what he's getting himself into, but do you think he can handle this? Is this, is this the right man, finally? For, from what I can see, it is. You know what, and I think if not for a bounce here or there or just a, a, a little bit of bad luck here and there, 
Canepa and Baker also would have, you know, been able to see this thing through. We know what happened in 03. We, we, we saw the, the, the sweeps in 07 and 08 under Pinella. But Madden, I think, has been through it playing against the Yankees and playing against the Red Sox in the American League East. And I think he's showing that being a baseball lifer, which is well, what he is, a baseball guy, a baseball rat, and being intellectually curious and being glib and being smart and being worldly are not mutually exclusive things. You can be both of those things. He reminds me a little bit of Dusty Baker in that way. And the fact that he's been down and dirty in baseball reminds me a little bit of Lou in that way. And Dusty was a player as well. But it just seems to me that he has the temperament to handle this. And, and I say again, I don't want to be unfair to those guys in the past because I think with a break here and there, or a little bit of luck here and there, you know, they might have been able to see the, the, the darn thing through too. But, you know, I, I think Madden is perfectly equipped to handle everything that comes with being the Cubs manager. Yeah, and it's just, a, you're totally right. A bounce here and there, we're, we're, you know, we're not talking about uh, Dusty Baker or Lou Pinella in the same way. They, I mean, to to act like they failed in some way would be really unfair to them. It's it's just, uh, you know, it's it's just the very like uh, like uh, Lou uh, coined. It's a cubby occurrence. Too many of those happened, and and things just went downhill from there. So uh, maybe maybe things change, uh, if not in 2015, very very soon. I'd like to. I definitely am looking forward to covering uh, on both sides of town uh, some some teams that actually have expectations for once and not just in the minor leagues. Bruce, before I let you go, final question here. Uh, this isn't really what's the key for 2015, but what are you as a reporter, as someone that's going to be covering this ba- this team on a regular basis, what are you lo- most looking forward to as far as an event or a storyline or, or a performance? What, what, what are you most excited for for 2015? Well, I think I'm most excited to see when Chris Bryant comes up and how this organization handles that. As we know, and the you really can't blame management because they have leverage for a very short time over their players. So you can't blame them if they wait two, three, four weeks into the season before they bring Bryant up to save on that year of free agency. But I'm just going to be excited and eager and anxious to see what he looks like at the big league level, where they put him and what the domino effect of all of that is with Rizzo and Castro and Baez and Soler and then a rotation that features Lester and Arietta at the top. So the whole Bryant situation is is one that has me captivated. And just to, just to see what kind of a start this team gets off to, if it creates that positive buzz at the beginning of the season and gets on a roll and has people talking about Cubs baseball, you know, from April into July. Now they're going to be buyers now at the deadline. So all of those kind of things rolled into one are, are going to have me excited. I completely agree with Brian. Uh, I I probably have unfair expectations for him. I need to probably need to temper my expectations because I believe this is going to be one of the best players we we see come through not only uh, wear cubs uniform but in baseball i have way too high of expectations so i need to i probably need to to get uh calm those down a little bit but uh, the the fast start is you're spot on with that bruce we've, we've watched the past you know three four years immediately just the the season sunk in april it, there was no there it, as little as little expectations as we had coming into april uh, any any sort of positivity was immediately just removed because of just awful starts. Uh, I don't think they they 
you know, maybe they were over 500 the past two, three years at one and oh or two and one, but not much past that. It, it didn't last past two and one. If my memory serves me right, I can't, I don't, I don't even remember like five and four. It, it just immediately under 500. And then it was about 10 games under by May. So it was, it was rough starts and just frustrating to watch. And I understand why fans, some fans were really frustrated because this, it they, it's hard to look at that long view, but, uh, you know, I, I think we're finally there, and it, it's it's almost like a, a relief to <laughs> to see to see a, a, a real roster put together that that you say, yeah, this this looks like it can compete uh, with uh, you know two very very talented teams and a third one in Milwaukee. I mean, Pittsburgh and St. Louis are going to be hard to beat, and Milwaukee's no joke either. So, and you can't even count out Cincinnati if they're healthy. This is going to be an interesting division altogether. Yeah, it's kind of the new American League East, the National League Central, and and to kind of build off of what you said, after those starts where they'd get off one and five, you'd be looking at a Scott Feldman or a Jason Hamill or a Jeff Samarja and saying, well, you're going to be gone by July. That's not going to be the case this year. We're going to be looking at guys and and saying, you know, if you're a Cub fan, hopefully saying, you know, this is going to be quite a ride this year, Uh, you know, the, the Days of uh, get them and flip them are gone, and it's a tough division. But, you know, I think the Cubs are going to be a player in it, even if they don't win it. Yeah, it'll be fun to see if they're actually buyers in July. Will we have Cole Hamill's rumors or or whoever else uh, enters into the market? Will they actually, or whatever their need may may be by then, maybe they don't need a starting pitcher. Maybe, who who knows what it is by July. If they're they're in contention, it'll be, they have the pieces and and they have uh, an aggressive general manager who's proven to to make a move. He's done it with Boston in the past. He's he's made that move and... and, uh, I guess we shouldn't be shocked if, if he does it again. So the, it'll be fun to follow. So many so many storylines. Bruce, before I, before we let you go here, why don't you let the listeners know uh, both uh, where they can find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. Okay, yes, I am at the, the Daily Herald, dailyherald.com. Go on our website and you can find my stories there, bmiles at dailyherald.com. And Twitter, uh, Bruce Miles 2112 uh, I've got about 14,000 Twitter followers, always looking for more. And uh, the one thing I do is I love to interact with the fans, whether email, Twitter, whatever it might be. Uh, just love hearing from the fans, interacting, sharing ideas. So dailyherald.com and at Bruce Miles 2112 on Twitter. And, you know, let's have a great season. Definitely, Bruce. That's Bruce Miles, Cubs beat writer for the Daily Herald. Definitely interact with him. One of the great guys in baseball. I appreciate your time, Bruce. I'm Sahadev Sharma. You can follow me at, on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Bruce, take care. All right, Sahadev. Great being with you. All right, that's it for our Cubs preview podcast. Thanks for listening. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild. You can send us emails for tomorrow's listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And support our sponsor, the Baseball Reference Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com, subscribing to the Play Index using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Next up on our Team Preview Podcast series is the Tigers. That will be on Thursday, but tomorrow we'll be back with the listener email show.